You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Veronica will introduce our guest in a moment, and I can tell you that you want to listen on to hear what one of Australia's biggest financial experts has to say about property investment, negative gearing, the changes to superannuation, all the things in our personal finances, and the things that we don't know that end up costing us a whole lot of money. Biggest thief of your money is time. Yeah. So start early. Mm. That's why I always say to people, don't not invest till your house is paid off. Yep. Invest once your mortgage is under control. Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp. And we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. In this episode, we pick the brains of Noel Whitaker, who is somewhat of a household name. Noel writes weekly columns in major newspapers in every state in Australia. These include the Brisbane Courier Mail, Brisbane Sunday Mail, Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. And he also broadcasts regularly on ABC Radio and appears on Channel 9. He's written 22 best-selling books that have sold over 2 million copies around the world. And his book, Making Money Simple, set sales records across the country and was recently named in the top 100 of the most influential books of the last century. Pretty impressive. He was co-founder of Whitaker McNaught Proprietary Limited, one of Queensland's largest financial planning companies with funds under advice in excess of $2 billion. He relinquished all interest in that business in 2007, but he's been busy ever since then. In 2011, he was made a member of the Order of Australia for his services to the Australian financial planning industry. And in fact, I think that makes you our sort of most prestigious guest thus far. He's also an executive producer of the film Think and Grow Rich, The Legacy, which premiered in Los Angeles last October. And I've just discovered that was his son behind all of that. And that's, there's a bit of a small world connection. Maybe I'll share that later. Uh, He's a chartered tax advisor, a member of the Australian Securities and Investment Commission Regional Liaison Committee, boy, oh boy, and is an executive in residence and an adjunct professor with the Faculty of Business at the Queensland University of Technology. So with all those qualifications and experience, we're looking forward to a no-nonsense talk about how property fits into the whole financial equation. Thank you, Noel. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Thank you, Noel. I really um, appreciate your time. I mean, as a financial advisor, you know, we always look up to people and we always try to follow people and who can we learn off that have kind of trodden the path before. And um, without doubt, you're one of them. So um, I really appreciate you giving us some time. I mean, Finance is something that it only really um, excites certain people, learning about money, you know, understanding money. Why have you over, you know, even sold your financial planning business 11, 12 years ago, whatever it is, and you're still there learning and wanting to learn more about money. What excites you about kind of finances? Well, in October 85, I went to a course, a five-day living course. And at that course, we were asked to meditate on our dying day and what they would say about us. It came to me that my purpose on life was to make the ordinary person successful with education about finance. Mm. I've done that, so so I'm an educator. I think I've kind of had the same thing, actually. Yeah, you know? I'm an educator. Yeah. yeah. What a gift. 
Yeah. But I just love doing it. Yeah. And I mean, like I was walked in my pharmacy in Brisbane recently and the girl said, oh, she said, you know, she said, I've got your 20 commandments of wealth on my kitchen wall and my kids see it every day. Mm. <laughs> you know, and one day, uh, right. one day a man grabbed me in the street, a very well-dressed man. He started crying. He said, I was broke and I bought your book and I got back together and I bought my mother a house. Mm. My mother and I thank you. So, you know, they're great stories. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing better than leaving a legacy. And you are, right? So you sold too many, two million copies. That's not to say that people haven't given that to their friends and family and, you know, a lot more have read it. So, mm. you know, it's very hard to make that impact on so many lives, you know, through a financial planning business. You probably made a lot more impact, do you believe, through oh, your sure. writing? Sure. I mean, every parent knew one of their kids who needed the book. Yeah. So it tended to be bought by parents. You need to read this. Yes. Mm. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I read your property pieces in the Sydney Morning Herald. And, and so I can't remember the first one I read and I thought, oh, it's pretty no nonsense. This is, this is pretty common sense. I mean, and not a lot of finance people do know anything about property. So I guess firstly, where did your interest in the topic come up? If, if we go back, my father was a farm manager, never owned anything. I joined the Bank of New South Wales, now Westpac, so I'd have a secure job for life. Mm. <laughs> and after six years at Westpac, I got sick of that and I became a lawyer. Then I didn't like that and I became a recruiter. Didn't like that. Mm. Then I was the chief accountant for a listed property company. During that time, I, I got my accounts and got the highest pass in tax in the history of Australia with 99%. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, so tax became my love. Uh, and then in the property company, I, um, it was a listed company, so we're doing developments. And then I picked up the book, Think and Grow Rich, which changed my life. I was 35 and I made two vows. One was to have my own business within 100 days. The other one was to, the rest of my life, to promulgate mm -hmm. those 13 principles. Mm -hmm. Wow. It, it took me 160 days to start the business. Mm -hmm. And it was a real estate business. So I started with a real estate and building company. So I built and I've sold and that morphed into a mortgage broking company and that went into a financial planning company. Okay. I always sold houses on the finance. You know, uh, you're paying X dollars at rent now. If you, if you buy this property, it's the same payments. Yeah. Now that's a good one to go into here because yeah. I find that that's – May have been a, I mean, back when you were doing it, might have been a great way of getting people into property. But these days, that same message is pushed by a lot of, um, what do we call them, spruikers? Um, well, spruikers is the word, and they're making 56,000 cold calls a week. Mm. They come from the Gold Coast or Perth, run a mile. Right. There <laughs> we go. Yeah, I think what Veronica's saying there is around the, you know, you can own a property for a you know, cost of a coffee a week, you know, when it's yeah. you know, $10 a week. Um, mm. You know, I think it's really important though. Like when are we looking at numbers for people? Um, you know, we do look off what, what are the costs of your rent over the next, you know, 10, 15 years? Mm. Do you want to live in an area what's desirable and there's only so many houses for rent um, and your rent's going to probably go up over that period. And so while rather than paying all that, could you be paying that in terms of interest knowing that, but in the, in the long term, your mortgage repayment should you know, potentially, um, you know, stay flat if interest rates stay flat, but also yes. go down in terms of your interest. So that's, that equation is actually, it's really powerful to, to talk someone through that journey because 
then they start to understand why actually buying can make a lot of sense. Yes, and the worst off person in the world is a retiree who is single with no house. Yeah. Mm. Because you can't exist on the single pension and pay rent. It's not possible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is a big gap in kind of, you know, for people of older age, isn't it? You know, if you haven't got a house and the pension, yeah. you haven't got enough rent assistance to live in a, sure. a capital city and you, you kind of, you're, you're going backwards, aren't you, really? Very fast. Sure, and also with all the attacks on our tax system with labour on franking and capital gains tax and negative gearing, mm. the house is your only tax-exempt asset. Mm. And I think more and more people will, will move to that. Yeah. Yeah. If labour gets in on their, on their plan stuff. Yeah, I mean, it is Australia's biggest tax write-off, right? You know, you, you have a job, you earn income, you're going to pay 40 50% tax on that. Yeah. Even if you buy an investment property, you're going to pay capital gains tax, you're going yeah. to pay tax on the income. But yeah. you're on a business, you're going to have to pay payroll tax, sure. you know, et cetera. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. you own a house, it doubles in value from a million to two million. No yeah. tax. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, you know, particularly if you're, if you're a handy person, I mean, you can buy a rundown property and add value by doing it up. You know, possible. This is very interesting as well because even just from a financial planning point of view, you call a you know it's typical you call a, your own home a lifestyle asset, correct? That well, I mean, that's the technical. Quite. Is that the technical I mean, term? No, you're you're supposed to have a have a basket of assets mm. diversified. And I, I've always said your home is where you start from, mm. but we always say that you can't eat the back stairs. Mm. So therefore you have your own home and then once you've got that under control, then you decide whether you want more property or shares mm. and that's your choice. So the house is the first place to start and, or, or your home, I should say, because some, in some cases an apartment will be the right place to start. Let's talk about tax yes, <laughs> and labour. Yes, talk about tax and, and, and labour. what is well, what they seem to be, well, hell-bent on pushing through as an election promise, which is removing negative gearing for all existing properties and only having it available for new houses, for new, new, new construction or new now, houses. Now, if we talk about negative gearing, negative gearing to start, mm. I mean, let's just say that a couple earns about, I don't know, 85 grand a year, a couple. Yep. They don't trust super because of the real changes. Yep. Yep. They don't trust shares because they've heard about companies going broke. Yep. They know that there won't be a, a pension in, in 40 or 50 years. Yep. So they buy an investment property. Yep. In the first four or five years, the taxpayer probably puts in around five grand a year. Yep. So say it's cost us 25000 as taxpayers. Then hopefully by then it's neutral geared, costing us nothing. And after a few more years, it starts to generate the profits and there's tax. Mm-hmm. Now in 20 or 30 years' time, they come to sell that property is at least 200000 in capital gains tax, all for the $25,000 outlay. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, they can't, get the, they can't get the age pension because of the assets. Mm-hmm. Now, the age pension costs 800000 a couple. Mm. If you went to buy an income stream, 35000 a year index of 65 yeah. would cost you $800,000. Mm. So if we can outlay $25,000 in the first five years, we are saving future governments $1 million. Yeah, I mean, I love it's that. It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. Wow. Yeah. And you're yes. stopping, and the government's not having to build that housing, right? So we're yeah. getting we're getting migration in. We're growing our population. Yeah. And, you know, that couple you spoke about, they've created more housing supply, you know, to, yeah. for these people. And yeah. took all the risk. 
Took all the risk. They took all the risk. They took all the risk. It's interesting, isn't it? Because that's not the populist argument at all. It's not. No. That's not, not. going to win you any votes coming up with that sort <laughs> of uh, No, <laughs> the populist argument is easy, but, but this label negative gearing too. The trouble with the, with the debate is the basic principle is that you judge an investment on its merits and any tax benefits, if any, are the cream on the cake. Mm. Yes. Now, negative gearing doesn't save much tax. It doesn't save much tax at all. Uh, and and a lot of the tax is in depreciation allowances, which you pay back anyway when you when you sell the house. So the focus should not be on the tax consequences if you're buying a property. It should be something to which I can add value. Mm. Which is, is not normally, brand new. Not brand new. Mm. It's the worst house in the best street because yep, yep. it's location, location, location. Yep, yep. <laughs> now, the irony about Labor's policy is that wealthy people can still negative gear you can only not offset against wages and salary income, which you can against family trust income yeah. and, and rent some other properties. Yeah. I mean, that's such a good point, right? So you put your, you have a million dollar share portfolio, you yep. know, you get some high dividend shares that maybe, yep. you know, 50, $60,000, and then you go buy, you know, two, $3 million of property that are all negatively geared mm. and you get all, it's basically a negative geared property. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Yeah. So the wealthy won't, aren't really that bothered really. And through market cycles, um, the wealthy kind of generally transfer of wealth to them even more because, you know, a lot of people rush to the exit generally because they are fearful, they haven't got much and the market's fallen. And mm. so then they end up selling at the wrong time. And then, mm. you know, a lot of the wealthy, you know, use their cash and their equity and, and start buying the market when, when everyone else is rushing to the exits. So Always, of course. Can we just yeah. spell this out? Um, so say for argument's sake, I buy after Labor get in, after yes. they push this through. And this, their laws are passed. And the Senate yes. votes it in, all that sort yeah. of stuff. And the laws are passed. The only way that I'll be able to negative gear, negatively gear a property would be to buy brand new. Brand new property, to which uh, it's very hard to add value. Yes, and and in fact, this is this is not encouraging anybody to go and buy brand new in order to negative gear. In fact, it's not encouraging anybody to actually look at negative gearing as a reason to invest full stop, because you have to spend a dollar to get back at maximum forty seven cents, and that's just poor math. Maximum at the maximum, yes. So negative gearing is a really poor reason to invest in property. It has to be, as you say, the icing on the cake. Sure. Now. The thing is, of course, that Labor's policy will be forcing people who think negative gearing is a good idea, which is a fallacy, yes, um, into new stock, which is statistically has a high probability, and I'm talking around about 50% chance of losing value if you are going to sell it within 10 years. But also, because it's now <laughs> going to be an established property. Has no resale. Well, your resale property is plunged. Your resale value mm. is plunged. Because yep. investors That's the point. Yeah. won't want to buy it because they can't get the negative the gearing negative benefits gearing. that you can by sure. buying it brand new. Sure. So therefore, any investor who can do math will work out that, hmm, that's not an investment. I'm going to buy it at, at you know, 500 grand and mm. it's going to be worth 400 grand before long. Mm. Um, and in the meantime, for every dollar I spend, I'll get back a maximum 47 cents. It just doesn't add up. So any sure. anybody who takes the time to actually think about it will realize that it's a bad idea yeah. to buy that stock. But that's sort of by the by. Mm. If me as a not that type of investor comes along afterwards and says, and say I buy uh, an, a an established property that is going to be costing me money. So I've got negative cash flow, but I have other investments that are making money. I can still offset that negative cash flow against yes. 
Yes. Ah, well, yes. see, you know, oh, yes. this is a thing. It's not really helping affordability at all, is it? I noticed a lot, lot of Labor politicians are buying negative regret stuff now to beat their own policies. <laughs> Seriously, it's ridiculous. And so you're someone who would, you know, is quite well known out there in financial world and be someone that they would want to speak to, you know, you know, the government really consulting anyone? Have they spoken to someone like you? Have they, have you heard of anyone that they're even looking at to speak, you know, to, th to think through this policy or they're just kind of, this, this is going to win votes. So we might as well go ahead. Well, with I it. see in the paper today, there's, there's been an action committee formed by the wealthies, well, by the wealthy. Right. On the front page of today's Australian. Right. To challenge all this and, and to fight for the franking credits and fight for the negative gear and fight for the capital gains tax. Mm. You see, it's, it's complex. It is complex because, you know, there's 10 million taxpayers in Australia, you know, and only 1.5 million, let's just call it round, round numbers, have actually got an investment property. And so, you know, 8.5 million people out there who are taxpayers, you know, don't really understand investment property. You know, they don't really understand how it works. And a lot of people don't understand negative gearing. You know, they'll happily go out and vote for removal of negative gearing. Yes. But they wouldn't really understand how mm. it all makes sense. And yep. unfortunately, um, you know, and it happens with me. I get, you know, very well-educated clients who just yep. never bought a property. And mm. we go through mm. negative gearing four, five, six times till they truly understand it because it is actually quite complex. And, you know, so. It's fairly simple. Yeah, it is. The, the property makes X and you spend Z, and if it's, if it's a shortfall, it's negative and you get a tax deduction. Yeah, the comp wasn't difficult. Yeah, when you when and a lot of financial stuff isn't, you know, and I yeah. think that for some people it is. And I think mm. that like even an offset account, like um, it's a pretty well known thing for a lot of our listeners, but you know, it's pretty uh, scary sometimes. You know, the process I have to go through to educate someone on an offset account, they just and so financial concepts for the majority is actually quite difficult and. What I think a lot of people in society will think is I can't afford to buy a house or I can't afford to mm. buy the house that I really mm. want. The reason for that is foreign investors. Well, mm. no, that was one reason a few years ago. Mm. And now it's well, negative gearing. So they're, Blame mm. culture. they're kind of There's both. always a reason not to act today. Yeah. <laughs> it's either it's too dear or it's going down. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Or it's, it's going up. There's always a reason not to act today. Always a reason. Yeah. Always a reason. But also we, we as a culture, I think we're, we're moving further and further and further away from taking personal responsibility. And, you know, it's like blaming other people yep. for I can't afford a house, so therefore it must be somebody else's fault and I'm going to vote accordingly. Mm. Is, is, it's actually flawed. It's fundamentally flawed because at the end of the day, I can't put all my responsibility and everybody else to make my life good. I've actually got to take my own responsibility. So, I mean, that's a really good segue actually into superannuation because, you know, that's one thing that people haven't taken personal responsibility for. Um, they've just gone, well, I, I'm never going to have anything. I'm just going to leave it in my, you know, AMP or colonial fund mm. and I'm never going to do anything with it. I mean, mm. what's your view on kind of superannuation and, and kind of enlighten our listeners on probably a different view on it? Well, one of the key findings of the Cooper inquiry to super was 80% of Australians are disengaged. Mm. Now, one of the main reasons that women have less super than men, yep. apart from the fact that they have breaks for kids and all sorts of things, and they tend to be in lower paid jobs like nursing and stuff, is women are less engaged than men are. And I, I went to an all-day seminar on this put on by the women economists. Mm. And, and women would rather do something else. Mm. So you need to get engaged. And we even said at that, at that day what we should do is make the default high growth mm. because how much you have at the end of the day depends on the net rate of return. Yeah. Uh, and if you're in 5%, you should have been 6% or 7%. Yeah. 
the difference can be a million bucks. Mm. So you need to be you need to be in high growth to age fifty, I think. And it should be opt out. Yeah. Not opt in. Wow, yeah. And Grattan yeah. Institute came oh. out with a report last week to oh. what's your thoughts on that? What's garbage? Yeah. The whole of the see, I've done I've been on I've been on the stage with John Daly. They don't like the big funds. They think the big funds are scaring people. Mm. Now, what the whole of the Grattan idea is that because the pension is so good, you don't need to invest. <laughs> but <laughs> Australia borrows one billion dollars every month. We have mm. had a, had a surplus since Peter Costello, who had mm. twelve surpluses. Mm. If you think that the next government will bring Australia back to back to immediate surplus, you're joking. Mm. As the welfare bill gets bigger, welfare is going to be tightened. Yeah. And the pension now is no longer a right. The pension is now welfare. And they're going to be saying in a couple of years, if you're a single person with half a million bucks in the bank, why should you be on welfare? Mm. Yeah. And if you're a couple with 800,000, why should you be on welfare? So the pension will be cut. Yeah. I think the first step towards that is the is the pension loan scheme, which starts in July next year, mm-hmm. where anybody can borrow up to fifty six thousand dollars a year at at five point two five percent in lieu of the pension. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a reverse mortgage scheme from the government. Mm. That's yeah, the first step. The hex the pension will the pension will become a hex debt. Yeah. It will. Wow. Eventually. What happens then at the end of life? Well, like, when you sell the house, yeah, the government gets it back mm. plus interest at five and a quarter percent. Yeah, because they're going to be saying if you're in a four million dollar house and the kids have got the beamer in the caravan, why should you be on welfare? Yeah, and I think that's going to obviously. Do you agree that the in long term, you know, the house will probably become part of the assets as part of your pension test? At the moment, you know, it's not part of your assets, and you know, do you think that'll at the moment happen? not? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. They just don't quite know how to do it yet. Yeah. It'll happen. <laughs> It'll happen. Yeah. So what this kind of means for our listeners is that, you know, you need to be doing things now. If you're, And it, the biggest opportunity for your wealth, and I don't know if you agree, is probably in your younger years, right? Your biggest, that's when you can make the biggest impact, you know, by, you know, just starting out small or actually investing in your 30s and your 20s and even your 40s. You know, the compounding on that is much yeah. better than – Kind of just parking it for another 10, 20 years and, and really taking action in your 50s, Look, I the guess. biggest asset's time. Mm. In my first book, I talk about the lily in the pond. And the lily starts as a tiny, as a tiny speck and doubles every day mm. and goes from, from a speck to full in 10 days. How long to go from quarter full to full? Mm. Two days. It's quarter to half on the ninth, mm. half to full on the 10th. Mm. Now, if that pond is your super and you've got a harvest on day eight, you've lost 75%. Mm. Biggest thief of your money is time. Yeah. So start early. Mm. That's why I always say to people, don't not invest till your house is paid off. Yep. Invest once your mortgage is under control. Yes. And, and, and it's really interesting, isn't yeah. it? Because risk-averse people want to pay their debt, their home yep. off before mm. they invest. And what they actually are actually taking greater risks with their future by doing so. If, 
I mean, I mean, we've got to be careful here, obviously, that um, not enc- encouraging what, what people to go and buy crap because you can easily lose money in property and you can certainly easily lose money in shares as well. You've sure. got to do it, you, you know, prudently and with good advice. But, yeah. but this idea of not investing but just paying down debt, I mean, it sounds so smart, but it's actually really sad because there's missed opportunity in that. Well, as Jim Rowan said, if you think investing is, is risky, Wait, wait till you get the bill for not investing. Mm, yeah. yeah, it's like that. That's saying, a great Jim saying. Oh yeah, oh, that's yeah. really good. Yeah. It's it's funny. I get a lot of people come to me and they say, you know, I'm buying a home, and I, I we talk about capital growth all the time. It's really yeah. a big focus on yeah. on every part of our evaluation on any property we buy. It's mm. it's it's front and center. And a lot of people will say, oh, I'm not so worried about capital growth because I'm going to live in it for 20 years. And I'm like, well, the longer you own it the more you should be focused on it because the gap between your your property, if it's an underperformer and, and just the median performers rather than the high performers, just gets bigger and bigger and bigger sure. the longer you own that property. So actually 20 years is more of a reason to focus on capital growth because come 20 years' time when you look back and think, oh, if I had made some different decisions, my life would be very, very different. I would have very different choices. That's when it counts. And I think the average home is lived in for, for about seven to eight years. Mm. I think that's the average turnover. Yeah, most people aren't in there 20 years. No. That's the point. Yeah. The circumstances change. They do. And yeah, I say I think, this to retirees, I mean, circumstances change. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? They buy a house and then, oh, we're outgrowing that and uh, outgrow that. And, you know, very few will think it through and go, well, actually, if we've got two kids and they're going to get bigger and we're going to mm. need a house that we could renovate or, mm. you know, maybe we should buy in the suburb that we want to stay in long term and yes. rather than, you know, constantly trying to chase chase the market. But that's I, affordability though as well. I mean, if you want to aspire to a certain area and you can't afford to buy that size home that is going to take you through, mm. you know, that 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 growth of your family, then you are going to have to leapfrog. You're going to have to actually. But the key factor is buy the best location you can afford. 100% agree with that. And if then. The house is not quite as good. Location, location, location. <laughs> yes. And then it's, it's the asset quality within that location. But absolutely yeah. 100% agree that 80% of the heavy lifting is done by the location. Of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love how you said don't buy an investment property before, you know, you've, or don't wait till your house, your mortgage is no. actually paid off. No. Um, you know, I have that conversation regularly with clients and, you know, the because in their head they think, um, and it's true, you know, if I keep paying my mortgage off, I get a guaranteed return on that money, mm. you know, after tax because the, the debt yeah, is yeah, not it's deductible. it's guaranteed about 4.5%. Yeah, lousy. let's let's say, but what yeah. they, what they, and so if I save an extra $100,000, I'm getting 4.5%, you know, percent return because I'm saving that interest. But yeah. what they're not thinking through is, you know, because of negative gearing, because of leverage, um, you know, they mm. could use the equity in their home and, you know, for the cost of maybe, you know, five, ten thousand $10,000 a year, they could have a million dollar property kind of growing from, let's say, you know, yep. a $500,000 property. So yeah. it's that leverage of course, effect of that, you know, maybe just saving $5,000 a year into or $10,000 a year to an investment property, mm. you know, could get you a much better return than, you know, just four or 5%. And that's Very what they're true. missing. Because in 10 years time, probably that half a million dollar property may be worth $800,000. Yes. You know, and because you've gained all that extra time. I noticed you didn't double it there. <laughs> well, well, depends on the property. It yeah. depends so much. There's no mm. such thing as a property market. Yeah. It's absolute <laughs> nonsense. I mean, oh, I yes. hate the term property market. So do I. No That's such thing. In. I so know. the Australian property market, what the hell is that? Is it Cairns Units or <laughs> Moorumbah or the Kimboys or Inner Sydney Point Piper, you name it. I have no idea. 
Yeah. No. Yeah. And it's so true. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? There's one property market. Property doubles every 10 years. Mm. You can never lose a property. There's all these sayings. And, yeah. You know, that's what mm. I was kind of joking at there is, mm. um, you know, and a lot of the, you know, I know you write in a lot of publications and, um, you know, you've got some probably great common sense advice, you know, maybe page 30 and it's in the finance section. Yeah. But then on the front page, you've got yes. the Australian <laughs> stock market has lost $50 billion. That's right. Um, mm. How does this kind of headlines and media, how does it, you know, does it frustrate you? 80 billion wiped off your super. Yes. You know? yeah. Because they talk about downs in billions yeah. and ups in points. Well, markets <laughs> up 10 points, markets down 80 billion. Yes. Your superannuation wiped out. It's so true, isn't it? It's just, just hang that, in there. Yeah, yeah. Hang in there. It's uh, And also it, that encourages that knee-jerk reaction, the panic and all that sort of um, – very short term is thinking. Whereas when you're investing, you have to invest with the long term in mind. Otherwise, you're at speculating. At least ten years. At least ten at years. Least, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So there's a real yes. difference. These people seem to think that riding. It's like they say, you know, I want to buy the next property hotspot. I'm like, that's not investing. That's speculating that a it will go up and b yes. that you get out of it in time before it goes down again. Sure. Exactly. And yet mm. they don't even have that exit strategy. It's just getting in to make that initial sure. gain. Sure. 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 Sure, sure. And yeah. I know she said 10 years there. You know, this is because another thing that, you know, a lot of people say is five years. And, you know, what's your experience on when people say you've got to invest in this product for a minimum of five years or you should buy property for a minimum of five years? Well, I think it's like about a month ago, I, I bought shares on AMP mm -hmm. because David Murray was going on the board and John Fraser was going on the board. And I think they're great people. Mm -hmm. I just thought because they just bottomed out and you thought it couldn't get any I worse. Thought, so I bought <laughs> Yeah, so I bought them at three dollars thirty. All of a sudden, they back two dollars eighty. I think, oh, I guess to sink. That's terrible. I'm shocked. I hate being underwater. But then wait a minute, no, give it five years. You're going to get an eight percent yield on this. Give it five years and ten years. It'll be good. Mm. You know. Are you not worried about A and P though, with the Royal Commission and you know the the recommendations coming out of you know that that may you know get rid of I guess vertical integration? Well, I've advice? got I've got faith in the board of A and P to get it through. Mm. Yeah, that's all. And if you, and it, the Royal Commission, just more generally, I mean, you know, from someone who's probably seen all elements of the financial advice yes. industry for a yes. long, long time, you've seen the kind of the ground, you know, the when it started, I guess, all the way through, mm. you know, wealth management days and selling of products. Are you surprised by things? What's happened? Or I don't think so. But what they've done is they've picked out the one percent of bad apples and highlighted it. Mm. I mean, most financial planners do a pretty good job. Uh, and people need advice more than ever. Yeah, because people don't know, people don't know where to buy a house or what share to buy. They are, and therefore, they are confused, and therefore, they don't move. Well, the thing, yeah, I mean, that's it. Inactivity is is just as bad as yeah, poor activity. Of course. But and that's an interesting thing. People understand they don't know about shares, but they don't understand they don't know about property. There's a real difference in attitude yes, of Australians. Yes, they do. Oh, property's fine. Property's mm. fine. But there's also mistakes. Like you talk about the Dumbo Corner. I mean, I regularly get emails. Oh, I put my name on my daughter's title deed so she could get a house. Now I got to pay capital gains tax. Yes, you do, <laughs> because you're you're a half owner, <laughs> oh, and to God. transfer that half share, you have to pay capital gains tax. Yeah, and you didn't Absolutely. get you know you didn't advice. get advice before you did it. Exactly. But is paying mm. capital gains tax a bad thing? Yes, but it's a bad thing if you didn't need to do it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a guy I knew once wanted to buy a house. It was a steal. <laughs> rushed in, bought it in his company name. He was yeah. in a hurry. It was it was to live in. Mm. In four years, it doubled. 
Uh, yep. Company yep. tax 30% flat. Mm. He didn't take advice and stick the thing in his own name. Mm. You see? Mm. You take advice before the deed, not afterwards. Yes, absolutely. And it's funny because the Royal Commission, or not the Royal Commission, but Labor's policy could, and that would be maybe a new strategy as you buy property in companies, you know, because you don't get the capital gains tax exemption. Yes, you but you're, negative pay, yeah, you're paying tax at 30% flat though. Yeah, but if and you- there's no discount. This yeah, is the problem. But if no you- if you have a, you know, a, a property and it's getting a 75% discount or a 25% discount to capital gains tax, which is the new rule, yeah, you know, that means that the capital gains tax is maybe at 37.5% at the end. Yeah, than, but yeah, but then you, but then you got to get the profits out as well. Yeah, correct. It's complex. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Family trust, yes. Mm. Uh, companies are be wary. Yeah, that's right. It's, you know, I think there's um a lot of spruikers out there, you know, pushed, you know, buying in trusts and companies uh, and, you well, know, when this, it, a lot of the time it can be, just makes sense. Mum and dad, you know, that's fine. You know, buy it in dad's have you Have you heard the spruikers line? No, maybe not. Oh, a few of them. <laughs> Which one are you going to bring out? Well, they tend to hand out things at places like Bundaberg and Mackay in the shopping centres. Yeah. Or they ring you. It goes like this. Uh, are you aware that the, gov the government is giving incentives to buy property? <laughs> no. <laughs> would you Would you like to save tax? Yes. yes. <laughs> would you like to pay your home loan back faster? Yes. Mm. Are you free on Tuesday or Thursday nights? <laughs> yes. And then they will give you a beautiful, I've seen the presentation. Mm. Yep. Now, you know, there'll be no pension when you're old. Yes. You can't trust super because they changed the rules. Yes. You can't trust shares. You know, they're all going to go broke on you. Good old real estate. Yes. Doubles every seven years, but. Seven years. That's pretty seven good. Seven years, yeah. but only the right real estate. Of course. And they just so happen to have it in yes. by the truckload. But it's got to be new. Yes. To minimise your repairs. Mm. Oh, yeah. yes. Yes. Mm. And, and maximise the tax deduction. Oh, my God. And we will build it for you. Because we have carefully selected the area. Yeah. And they stick in $60,000 in their hidden commission. Oh, yeah. yeah. And That's I know the they've carefully researched the area. It's hilarious, isn't it? Because it's you nonsense. just think yeah, it is no. absolute nonsense. nonsense. It's, it's curated research or yes. research, high, heavily biased. Mm. Just a slight aside here for listeners, if you haven't listened back to episode 15 with Tyron Hyde, he's actually a quantity surveyor, head of Washington Brown uh, Quantity Surveyors. We did talk about the changes to negative gearing and depreciation uh, by the Liberal government right. and he came up and he did talk about this idea mm. of buying a different entities and, and, and also the complete disparity. You know, you buy one entity, this sort of tax breaks you get, you buy a different entity, you get different types of tax breaks. So if anyone's interested in that, go back to that episode. But also, if I may say so, land tax. Oh, hate land tax. Because if you start, <laughs> no, but if you start bulking the same thing, because mm. land tax, it's like payroll tax. Yeah. Yep, so there's a threshold. You buy one and your partner buys one and you buy one in, in Queensland, you buy one in New South Wales yep. or one, one in Western super. Australia, one in your super mm. fund. You know, you've got to be very aware of land tax. Yes. I've been caught out personally by land oh, tax. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it, it is interesting. Once again, it comes back to getting the good advice. I had Absolutely. a really crap accountant. Yeah. I discovered after the after the event and I got a whopping great bill yeah. and I had a complete personal misunderstanding around it some years back yep. and mm. um, my accountant had just, oh, just sort of because it wasn't a federal tax, I think that they just completely ignored yeah, it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, and also that's, the other yeah. thing is do you hold as tenants in common or joint tenants? Mm. Yeah. Because we're now seeing a lot of reformed families. Yeah. 
with her kids and his kids mm. and their kids. Now, if you want to pass the house to one side, you yeah. can't have joint tenants. Yeah. Because a house and joint tenants automatically goes to the survivor. So yes. then it's critical to know whose name it's going to go. That That's is exactly, and, and that is the, something for the listeners to to understand on a contract. You, it was certainly in New South Wales, and I presume in other states, you've got that choice of do you want if you're buying it with your partner for argument's sake, you want to buy it in tenancy as tenants in common or mm. as joint tenants. Mm. And so the joint tenants, yes, if I die. It, the, my half immediately goes to my partner. Yes. If we are tenants in common, I might only own 10% of it and right. my partner might own 90% or any sort of yeah. variation right. of that. And then my 10% is, uh, goes into my estate. And if I die, then that 10% is dealt with as I've put in my will. Sure. So, and that is important for people to understand that there mm -hmm. is a big difference. Same deal, getting that advice. Yes. Hmm. You touched on a really interesting point. You just, it was just like literally one line, you know, maybe 10 minutes ago. And you I can't said, wait what's coming now. No. <laughs> and um, you said around depreciation and you said that yes. you have to add it back. Yes. Um, mm. Not many people really understand this. I mean, could you enlighten our listeners on, on how that works and how depreciation well, is a bit of a, you know, false economy, I guess. Yeah, because basically just say there's $15,000 of assets yep. as part of your capital gains tax base. Now, when you claim a thousand dollars depreciation, you reduce the base by one thousand dollars to fourteen thousand mm. dollars. So now it's a it's a it's a smaller base for capital gains tax, and so, you pay more capital gains tax. So what you're saying, basically, say your costs were a hundred grand, yep. and you've made four hundred grand profit, yeah, in, in like as in yeah. the sale price, yeah. Um, and then for every thousand you've claimed a depreciation, you're mm. adding really to that hundred thousands. Yeah. So that mm. No, you're reducing. reducing. So you're taking off your 100000 yeah, so, so your profit goes up and so then you're going to pay tax then. Yeah, so every non-cash, we call them non-cash expenses mm. because they, 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 aren't, they aren't outlaying cash mm. like rates mm. and interest, is that every 1000 you get on that is $1,000 extra added to the base. Off, yep. The, yep. off the base cost of capital gains tax. Yeah, and that's right. And a lot of our, you know, listeners probably, you know, the depreciation story, when you buy a new, something new and they sell it on depreciation, they'll mm. never, ever tell you that you're going to pay more capital gains tax in the future sure. and you've got to add it back. And um, yeah. that basically, you know, ruins the whole argument for depreciation. One of the things that… Um, <laughs> Hang on. Ruins whose argument? <laughs> well, the, the developer's <laughs> argument for oh, why they you should push buy it. I know, right, yes. I know. Yeah. But I, but I think what most people don't know is if you have a non-income producing property bought after August 91, mm. all costs go to your base cost. Mm. Mm. The rates, land tax, clearing, everything. This could be the beach house at Portsea, mm. land tax. It's a property that's non-income producing. Yep. They can block a land. Mm. Now, most people don't know that I get questions all the time about that. Yeah, I guess that's a it's a – Big question because well, it's not generally know, known. That's the point. Yeah, I know what you're mm. saying is when mm. someone does own a, a holiday property and they've and you it's know, non-income producing. Yeah, yep, and they're not yep, they're yep. not renting it out, and it's gone from you know five hundred thousand dollars to a million. They think, mm. oh, I've got this huge capital gains tax bill. Well, once you add in all those costs, exactly. the land tax and the rates and yeah. the interest and repairs and things like mm. that, you yeah, know, yeah. that's not such a big gain anymore. No, so, it's not. It's not. Um, you know, selling it sometimes are, are not a bad idea. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, I guess. One of the things as a financial advisor, I know you've been in finance for a long, long time. Um, yeah, but I'm the, I, I haven't been a financial advisor for a long, long time. Yeah. Mm. No, that's okay. But I, I guess what um, one of the things I've already learned in the last probably five years is 
I've learned a lot more around behavioral finance and, mm. you know, that our emotions and it's as the humans. Biases, there's, mm. there's a 144 biases. Yeah, like yeah. that's one thing that I've learned 144 biases, wow. It's just phenomenal, isn't yeah. it? We only covered 12 in our first episode, guys. Yeah. And you can go back to, look on the uh, website, theelephantintheroom.com.au, episode one. You can actually download a list of the 12 biases that I'd we've like uncovered. <laughs> I'd like to hear that. Yeah, well, that's, oh, yeah. Can, we, can we rattle them off? But there's, yeah. there's 12 that we... We yeah. covered in some detail in our yeah. first episode, but so yeah. there's basically 12 times that. Mm. That sounds a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you need yeah, to have a few more are. episodes oh, yeah, on that. There are. Yeah, and and I, I think there's 50 forms of risk as well, I think. Yeah, it's interesting because <laughs> I guess oh, yeah. that's um, how do you think that plays out in kind of investment markets and, you know, how does, you know, behavioral finance, I guess, people's emotions impact assets? The, the average investor is like a sheep. They will chase a rising market and quit a falling market. Mm. Mm. You know, now I've got interest in a managed fund. At the moment, it's in Zillow and Grub. Mm-hmm. Now, those funds are fall in the last week, they've fallen 40%. Mm-hmm. So my money's fallen 40%. Mm. But those companies were as good as ever. So, so you stay with them. Mm. But if you get scared, you panic and run away. Oh, I'm never going back there again. Yeah. You've got to look at the quality of the asset property or shares, yep. mm-hmm. and say, is it worth hanging on to or not? Yeah. Mm. It's a really good fundamental yeah. point. Mm. And interestingly, there's been studies, haven't there, on the share market that mm. the getting in and getting out, getting in and getting out. Can't do it. Then, you know, those people underperform compared to those who pick a good asset and just wait it out and sit it out. And and the share market doesn't even have the the in, entry and exit costs that the property market has. Sure. So people do in the property market, there's, sure. it's even bigger damage in terms of their overall wealth. Um, but, yeah, that, that sort of – but, however, it's easier to, to get in and out of shares, of course. Of course. But also, I mean, I get newsletters every day. The coming property crash. Mm. Why property will fall 50%, whatever property is. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we're on track for a population of 40 million in the next 15, 20 years. Yeah. I mean, that's very good for property. Mm. You know, property is irreplaceable. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's right, point. isn't it? You know. Yeah. It's uh, it might be a short term credit spike or can credit well, there contraction, will be. There and will be. you know, foreign mm. investors and negative gearing go. Mm. But if you own a, a nice little house in an inner ring suburb and you know it's full of trees and it's near a train, um, yeah, you know, Sydney's population adds another million people. Is that going to be more desirable? Of course, it will be. Yeah, of course, it will be. But you know, location, all... location, location, exactly. Yeah. Go back to the basics train I station, mean... the trees, you see, TT, <laughs> uh, cafes, trees, and TC, TCT, trains, cafes, the trains, cafes, and trees, yeah, and the trendies, right. <laughs> and the trendies, that's right, trains, trendies, and trees, and the smashed abo, that's right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, but the thing is, though. Back to those headlines we were yeah. talking about. And, in fact, there was a, I loved an article you wrote uh, a little while back about, you know, if you want to invest in properties, just ignore those headlines. So, pardon me for paraphrasing your, um, mm. your, your headline. Mm. I mean, but we're all knee-jerking. What is that about society? Why, why are we listening to that crap? Because papers sell on headlines. Mm. And an editor told me the, the, the front page is what sells the newspaper. Mm. It's that simple. Mm. We can have superannuation in danger, health scare, property crash. Mm. I mean, the Korea Mail last year was running on on the third page how your house is gaining by $1,000 a day tax free. <laughs> well, you know, shares and property are not gaining, yeah. they have gained. Yeah. Yeah. Capital growth is history. Mm. Yes. So nothing is ever gaining. 
it has gained or it has lost. Mm. <laughs> it's not losing or gaining. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> know uh, what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I guess the other thing uh, is that those headlines are written by journalists yeah. as opposed to property experts or, or yes, share experts. Yes, of course, of course. So, uh, well, the journalists probably don't even write it, actually. It's probably. Oh, the headline part, person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's the headline person who's going to be able to. What's oh, going they to get sell some the good paper. ones. They, they, yeah. they, they, they get some good ones. <laughs> well, we interviewed so, Kirsten Craze uh, a while back, and, yeah. and she's been a property writer for a long time. And she was saying that, you know, it has happened to her that she's actually seen the headline for her own story and was like, how the hell did that headline come from the exactly. story I wrote? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I wrote an article once on the age pension was going up, headed, headed up, government attacks age pension. I mean, it's extraordinary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, so yeah. you fall victim to it as well? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Because the person who writes a story has no control of the headline. Right. Yeah. No control. Mm, even in the opinion pieces? No. Oh, no. there you go. No. There's, a, no. there's a little bit of a gem for us. No. So self managed super funds, um, yes. they've been a prime target for property spruikers too. Of course. I mean, through your journeys – have you seen a few kind of errors there? And what's your thoughts on investing your superannuation in property? Well, I think if if we, if we start with self-managed funds, they're they're not right for most people. Yeah. Uh, because how they started really was the market crashes. Oh, I could have done better myself. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> the accountant says, "Yeah, we'll start a self-managed fund, and you can do it yourself." Oh yeah. dear, yeah. So we get half a million dollars, and we stick it in the bank, and we still don't know what to do with it. Mm. And they and they sit. Yep. A self-managed fund is great to hold your business premises in there. Yeah, it's great if you're like me who invest in property syndicates, mm-hmm. who invest in managed funds in America, which you can't get here. Mm-hmm. Who is a do-it-yourself investor in shares or in property? Yeah. You've got to be a do-it-yourself person mm. or want assets you know are good that you can't get from the financial advisors. Yeah, but the vast majority, I mean, how many numbers, self-managed super funds are out there? It's like 500 or 600,000 or something like that. I think there's a million taxpayers are in self Yeah, I think it's 500,000 funds with about a million members roughly. Yeah. But there's only six funds over only six funds over 100 million. Yeah. Get, listen to that, listeners. Six wow. funds have got over $100 million in. And that's always fund. in real estate because they're in subdivisions and things. Yeah. Mm. And they're probably wow. over the age of 60 and, you know, uh, and yeah. uh, that $100 million, just for our listeners, um, is all growing tax-free and all capital gains tax-free. Well, it's not growing tax-free anymore since the since the Turnbull thing. <laughs> yeah. Since Cap, Turnbull. Right? Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if, 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 if you've got $100 million, there's two people, you've got 3.2 tax-free yeah. and $97 million taxed. Yeah, I mean it's still very low tax, but you're right. Up to a couple of years ago, it was um, well, now they've put in a three million dollar, three point two million dollar couple kind of couple. Yeah, that's but, the most you can have in pension. Though. Yeah, in pension mode before yeah. you start paying tax. But in the past, that was all tax free. So, you know, I think there was it was tax free if you're drawing a pension. Mm. But, but over that's... the age of sixty, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And I guess it's, um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing with superannuation, you know, with self-managed super funds is that a lot of people have, at those 500,000 members um, or funds, a lot of them are just sitting in cash, aren't they? A lot of them are just bought Australian shares and Because they and don't cash. know what to do. Yeah. But, but, but yeah. <laughs> but when Labor comes in, the franking credits go, it'll be different. Mm. Yeah. And what's your thoughts on that as just more broadly, do you, do you think that's a good idea or do you think it's crazy? Well, I think that most people should leave their money with, a retail or industry fund. Mm. Another thing is that normally one partner focuses on the money. Yeah. My wife would rather go to book club. Mm. <laughs> you know, honestly. Well, she's pretty lucky though. She does have you. Yeah, she's got me. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you know, but not usually not a bit about money. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's normally the guy runs yeah. the money, but not always. Mm. And when it, when he gets a bit of dementia, all sorts of terrible things can happen. Oh mm. God, yeah. You know, well, I, yeah, and and it comes back to that idea of responsibility. We all do need to take responsibility. It's our it's our yes. future as well. And so, mm-hmm. if if there are women out there or men out there that are abdicating their responsibility to their partner, yep. you know, it 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 might not be of interest to you. But I tell you what would be interesting is if you lost all your money, yes, and all of a sudden you didn't know where it went and you were caught out. Mm-hmm. That would be pretty interesting. Absolutely. So I would suggest let's find out what's happening before that yeah. happens. Have a monthly meeting or something. Talk mm. about it. Yeah, I mean that's Talk a really. I think that's mm. shifting that. Um, so I, all my clients are in their thirties, forties. You know, I don't really work with any clients. He's ages, so you and I are both too so. old to yeah. be Chris's clients. Yeah. What's your about you? <laughs> I am afraid. Yeah. Oh, I can't work with everyone. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, 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 yeah. but a lot of younger people, and you know, the women are actually driving a lot of the conversations. And um, you know, when you say the other party who's not getting involved, I think it's mm. also the responsibility of the party who is managing it to make sure they do get involved Mm. because, you know, you need that person to understand, to be on board with all the decisions and um, to actually be coming up with the the strategy together. And um, otherwise, you know, things don't go well, you know, you're going to be in a bit of trouble. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do, dumb things that cost them a whole lot of money and cause a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. So earlier on, Noel, you told us you had heaps of property dumbos for us. Millions. Well, I mean, I, I, I talk about people buying buying in the wrong name. Mm. But years ago, a guy who worked for me had no money, but he had, had an idea. He said, there's an island out there. It's on Stradbroke. It's a half-finished house. It was a long time ago. We can buy it for 15 and spend 20 and sell it for 80. So I put all the money up. Mm. And he found a builder and it was a ratchet job and it didn't look right. Mm. And then he lost interest. <laughs> and I was the one taking, taking the ferry to show people discovered there was a very low demand for property there. Mm. And uh, when we did sell it at a loss, I could only claim half the tax loss. Oh, I put all the money in, I did oh, all the work. No. He got half the tax loss for nothing. Oh. And that's the thing. If you take a partner, mm. if it goes well, the partner gets half. Mm. If it goes bad, well, you cop the whole lot. Mm. Well, we said your best partner's the bank. Mm, interesting. Going into partners with people buying property is fraught with danger. We haven't even talked about that. We've done 40, maybe 50 episodes now, and we haven't actually spoke about that. Well, it's and important. I, it's critical. It's so true. Yes. Mm. I, um, mm. You know, you get brothers and sisters, you know, mm. so even though you're family, it doesn't mean you need to go and buy a property together. No. You know, if, if your best mate, you've been friends for 20 years, doesn't mean you should go and start, you know, doing things together. Um, there's all, all these unintended Well, words. people's circumstances change. All of a sudden yes. the, the person who wanted to be your business partner mm. Wants to get married. And mm. I want to buy a house, but I got to sell this one. Hang on a sec. Yeah. It's doing well. We've got to pay capital gains taxes. You want to change path? Yeah, mm. yeah. You know, once you've got a partner, you lose you lose half your decision making power. And so that's really important. If people do want to do it, then they have to have basically a shareholder agreement or a, a co ownership complex. Agreement. It is, but you have to have those conversations about what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if you know, but, all but, all before you do it. But you got the agreement, mm. oh, but I want to get married and my wife thinks it's important, I have a house. I just, yeah. I don't mind the agreement. I just got to sell it, mm. and, you know. 
agree. And, and if you do buy the half share, there's this capital gains tax again, you know. Yeah. It's, oh, you know, it's fraught. It, it adds a layer of complexity which you don't need. No, I agree. I like with to keep that. things simple, that's all. Yeah, it's kind of like a last resort, and even then, it's not even potentially an option. Um, no. And I guess parents with guarantor loans, we haven't spoke about that much on our podcast. I mean, what's your thoughts around, you know, grandparents? I think they're great, but I'm not sure if the banks will do them anymore. See what the what the Royal Commission has done has made the banks terrified to do anything. Mm. Yep, it's okay. a credit squeeze. It, it's a it's a de facto credit squeeze. This is yep. the problem. I hundred percent agree. That's exactly yeah. what's happened. So yeah. mainly since about June, um, yeah. it's June May. Like it was around that time, and then bank applications that were usually always silky smooth, straight mm. through. Mm. You know, maybe one phone call from the assessor to say, "Oh, mm. you haven't given us this document," or you know, "I've just got to clarify something." would start getting straight declines. Um, mm. And, um, you know, the and they would start, or they would go through expenses and, you know, the whole mentality of the bank assessor went from, we want to approve this to we don't want to approve it. Yes. And they were scared. And they and I, I think they still are, you know. So I think um, it's very true. I think maybe guarantor loans will go in the future. I think that's a, yeah, that's a pretty I, good thing. I was talking to a mortgage broker this week who said he spoke to one major bank. Yep. The loans were approved in India and his personal loans coach is in Cairns. Mm. This is a guy in Brisbane in a major bank, approvals done in India, and he's being coached from somebody in Cairns. So you work that one out. Yeah, I know which bank you're talking about. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. Well, we know. It's <laughs> yeah, and it is. It's scary, right? Because you get the call from the assessor in India and yeah. you're like, oh, you don't really, I don't know, it's hard to, mm. you know, So, so as, as someone who's got mm. no idea what you're talking about, West Point me, Piper. Now, are we now, talking now, about. West Point Piper. <laughs> <laughs> is, that a good is, this, yeah. is this what we call a third tier lender? No, this is a big, big. This is a big four. It's a big four. What are the big four? Right. Yeah. ANZ, I'm just naming There you go. ANZ? Yeah. yeah ANZ. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and look. Cost cutting. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's fraught, isn't it? And like you say, it's a credit squeeze. And so that's really what's driving the current property yeah. hiatus, shall we say. Um, and is it a pendulum? Is it just we've gone from one extreme to the other? Oh, the other? cycle lives on. Yeah. Yeah. But talking about Dumbo, there's sort of another one. Oh, good, good. Give us another one. Location. Fairly wealthy people built a mansion right next to a housing commission area. Mm. So if you can visualise it, on one side is all mansions, but on on the fence adjoining is housing commission. Mm. <laughs> they decided to buy that a house on the happen. river and signed a cash contract, knowing they could sell their their mansion with the stables and the walk up spa and the bathroom. Nobody wanted it mm. because the location didn't tick. And they took a bath on this. Yeah, it's so bath. common. It's like you buy yeah. at the end of the street where the noise is or back mm. into the main road. And mm. you know, know. sometimes you drive around like quite nice suburbs and you see these monstrosities, amazing houses, and you think, you've just spent, you know, you've done that on the yep. wrong street. Exactly. You know, yeah. you've just mm. overcapitalized. Exactly. You know, yes. that should be on the beachfront. Mm. Like it shouldn't yeah. be, uh, yeah. Mm. So it's the inappropriate asset for the location. Yes. It, it's uh, and you got to think. Well, who's the who's the majority buyer in this area? Yeah. How many people are really in the market for that type of property and that type of location? Sure. And if it's not a lot, then you're yeah. you know you're taking a big risk. It was sort of tricky because there was a nice subdivision adjoining it, mm. but they were the one that actually adjoined it. It would have been. One house alone, I think it would have been okay. Right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, just, I know. just far enough away. I know, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> I know. And I, I think that's what I find. I find it frustrating, so frustrating, that quite often a lot of people with money, a lot of money, 
they are the least aware of how easy it is to part with that very same money. You know, when it comes to property, they, they, that overconfidence bias, you know, they really yes. think because they're successful in other areas of their life, they can't really lose. That's and right. yet, you know, I watched some, some really flawed logic, flawed oh, yeah. thinking around oh, buying yeah. property. Of course. Um, and of course. you know, I've got a, as I get a bit older and wiser, I stop arguing with people, although I still get caught into an argument every now and then, but you know, because they're just so certain of certain of how right they are until they go to sell. That's right. Mm. And then we say the market doesn't share doesn't share your enthusiasm. No, <laughs> not a terrible word. <laughs> yeah. Just one um, final question for yes. you, Noel. I think um, yeah, there's been another. We could talk all night. Yeah, yeah we could. <laughs> there's another successful um, book writer that's kind of taken on finance, and that's Scott Papen, the barefoot yes. investor. Yes. I mean, what's your thoughts on his success in terms of redefining? You know, because you know you mentioned just before around the money meals with your partner and that's something that he's quite big on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, what's your thoughts on kind of the barefoot investor and his, his success? I think I think he oversimplifies. Okay. He oversimplifies things and that's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of, you know, you don't need insurance because you've got it in your super and oh. those type of things. Yep. Mm. You know, the dangers with, you know, a, kind of creating a cult that, you know, reads your book if it's too simple, sometimes there's gaps, I guess. Yes, so, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it's good to raise awareness for people. Yeah. But it's oversimplistic and that's dangerous. Yeah. You talk about insurance in super. If you've got TPD inside super, you can't get own occupation. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, which which means, it means if you're an airline pilot and you have it outside super, you can have a policy where if I can't get work as an airline pilot, I get paid. Yeah. Right. But But – that's not inside super. Oh, okay. So all, all, they've, all they've got to do is find him, find him work as a stop and go man. Yeah. Or a parking attendant, see what I mean? Yeah, that's right. And it, so we've got to always be careful sometimes when we do read things or listen to things. You know, there's always, you've got to be always, you know, fact checking and double checking, yeah, well, speaking to people. Yeah. Then, you know, well, sometimes was a, yeah. things aren't always the. There was a couple, he was 65 and she's 58. Oh, I'll start an allocated pension, she said. Well, the trouble is that he's on the pension. The moment she starts the allocated pension, it's counted by Centrelink, and he lost his pension. Yeah. She, she should have stayed in the accumulation. And so this is the importance of getting advice. Yeah, there it, was the guy dying yeah. now, now, the Morris Blackburn guys were telling me. The guy's dying with cancer. He's got six, inch, six super policies. To save fees, his wife amalgamated them, mm. including the one that carried $400,000 of death cover. Oh. And lost the death cover. Yeah. yeah. You'd never amalgamate superannuation funds without checking the insurance. It's a basic. Yeah. These are basics. But if you don't know what you don't know, you will. Well, that's it. If you don't know what you yeah. don't know, you will. Yeah. That's a great saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's right. And people will, you know, and that's the thing. It's just, oh, one fund is, and actually the fees, you know, generally is just the member fee because yeah. it's the, um, you know, fees are basically charged as a percentage. So yes. whether you've got the money in fund A or fund B, it's really you're paying a percentage. You're still paying a percentage, you know. For sure. So For sure. Your yeah. only real fee you're probably saving, you know, if it's a higher percentage, yes, you'll be paying a higher percentage, but you'll usually just be paying like say eighty dollars a year, a hundred dollars a year for a member fee, you know, times two rather than one. And so for the sake of extra hundred dollars a year, this person sure. um has maybe have lost four hundred thousand dollars sure. on a life insurance policy and Absolutely. Um, and your other one there's, you know, that's another reason why going to, you know, financial advisor at that stage in their life, you know. Mm. A good financial advisor there would potentially say, right, okay, so someone's on the pension. What we really want to be doing, or maybe if they go in a few years before that, is putting money in the wife's name 
in her super fund in accumulation sure. so we can maximize the pension. Um, Absolutely. And so there's all these little strategies that, mm. you know, it's quite Levers complex. You it's, you know, you know, massage the rules. You've got to be thinking, you know, five years ahead, how it's all going to play out. It is complex. But, um, but uh, yeah, not people, you know, sometimes don't go to financial advisors because they, you know, they don't believe they're going to get a, you know, going to pay a lot of money for nothing. But That's right. I know. Uh, I know. Yeah. That could be the title of this episode. You Good advice doesn't cost it pays. You didn't pays. know. You didn't know. <laughs> That's a great one. Yeah. Good advice doesn't cost it pays. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so true. I love that. And uh, what is it? Uh, experts are expensive. Try, try, try. Was it an amateur can cost you a fortune? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Mm, bad, badly uh, quoted there, badly but quoted, we, we, but get, we, we get, get the, the point. <laughs> <laughs> get the point. Thank you yeah. so much, Noel. Thank you so much. It's been great fun. Yeah, Thank well, I'm know. glad you enjoyed it. Great Absolutely th uh, thrilled to meet you and it's been really eye-opening on a number of levels and I've been happy to be able to ask questions to illuminate my own thinking as well. So thank Good you. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Noel. Brilliant to meet you. And um, for our listeners, definitely subscribe to your blog. Um, I look forward when it's coming That's through. That's a news order. There's one this morning, coming up this morning. Yeah, and it's, uh, well... <laughs> Not sure when this will go live, but um, yeah. oh, no, it won't go. So, well, there's one coming out soon. There'll be one again every day, every day. And there's always Not a bit of humour in there as well, which always, always I like the humour. Yeah, like there's the always humor. a bit of humour in there, and that's always a bit enlightening for your day. So, thanks very much. Thank you. We want to make you a better elephant rider, and this week's elephant rider training is. Let's examine more of this idea about quality assets. Now, Noel has mentioned it uh, actually a few times, but specifically uh, at least once in this episode where the quality of the asset is absolutely critical. Okay. So when you're looking at property and if you already have a portfolio, for instance, you might suspect that maybe some of the properties that you have are not quality. So how do you work out what makes a quality asset? Well, in my business, we actually do asset assessments um, for clients. And so we actually can review people's portfolios across the country. And how have we done that? Well, we build a methodology and these are the things we look for. Now, as we've said, the location does 80% of the heavy lifting, right? So if we break that 80% into four parts, first thing we want to look at is history. How has this particular location performed in the past? Now, if you are looking at, and, and one of the things that we like to look at is the median growth curve. Now, we've talked in many episodes about the difficulties in relying on median growth or medians as uh, a measurement tool. However, it does tell a bit of a picture. So if you look at a growth curve that has got lots of peaks and troughs in history, and that's a bit of a warning. Because for me, what I'm looking at is a, an area that will show sustainable, consistent growth. So if I look, however, on a growth curve that might have a few little bumps, but generally is trending up, and we're talking over at least 10 years here, then I can be more confident. So that's the first thing. I'm looking at history. The second thing I'm looking for is what's the current situation? And it might be that it's a buyer's market, a seller's market, a neutral market. What's actually happening currently? Because sometimes that can be... Uh, something that you need to worry about and other times you just need to let it go aside. But in terms of your decision making as to whether you're going to sell a property or not, it's important to know the current situation. The next thing I look at is short-term indicators and, and I will look at other researchers. The data we pull in is from about 26 different data sources, okay? But I also look at consensus in terms of what's going to happen in the short term. I don't rely on just one. So I might look at, um, say, 
SQM. I might look at uh, Terrier Riders reports. I might look at uh, RiskWise. I might look at um, Ripe House. I might look at who's some others that we might look CoreLogic. at. CoreLogic. Uh, PriceFinder. You know, there's, there's a lot of data sources out there regarding property and I don't rely on just one. Actually, one I do, another one I do look at is John Linderman's reports as well. So, um, in fact, I put quite a lot of um, importance on those. So, I will look for consensus across a lot of researchers that will – they look at different types of data or it might be all the same data but their interpretation of that data may be different. And so, by looking at consensus, I'm wanting to deepen – my understanding of how other experts are interpreting the data that they're looking at. So that's the third part of the location piece. And the next bit really is the most important in my view for ongoing uh, or, or for assessing the calibre of your investment. And that is what are the long-term drivers. Now, this is something that is pretty much impossible to get from any of these online data sources. You know, you can get a lot of information on short term, a lot. You cannot get much in terms of long term and this is where your own research comes into it. So I will look at, as I said, a, a number of different data sources for this. I'm looking at what underpins long-term capital growth, sustainable capital growth. And some of the things, there's four main areas here. One is employment, diversity of employment and high paying employment. So knowledge centers, for instance, but when, to give you a bad example or a good example of a bad area to invest is when you're going just for a mining town where you've got one employer or a tourist area where there's only one employer, it's a very, very risky thing. So I'm looking for diversity and solidity of multiple employment opportunities. The next thing is incomes. And I want to make sure that the people in those areas have the potential to earn high incomes because it is the owner occupiers that drive ongoing uh, capital growth. And so you want locals who can afford to buy the property in the area and want to buy the property in the area. So incomes are a very important piece of that puzzle. The third thing we're looking at is population growth. And it's not just growth for growth's sake, but also who is moving into that area and how is that population growing? And is that going to be long-term or is that short-term because a whole bunch of people are moving in to build a new piece of infrastructure for argument's sake? And the fourth thing is supply. If you have a lot of stock coming on and you don't have the demand to match that supply, then prices are not going to grow. Simple as that. So you've got to look at all of these factors. Now, a lot of people will also talk about infrastructure and new hospitals and roads and airports and all that sort of stuff. And you've got to be very careful around those sorts of things. Yes, they matter. They do matter. But if they're not actually being built, you know, if they're just greenfield sites or they're just being talked about or promised, particularly by developers, you've got to be really careful. So we look at all those those four aspects of location. That's the history, what's happening currently, short-term and long-term foundations to underpin sustainable capital growth. The fifth thing that we really need to consider when we're looking at the calibre of an asset, so whether it's a quality asset or not, is that if you've got the location right, the absolute cherry on top is a good asset, one that will perform better than most in that area. And there's a number of factors that go into that. But the fundamental principle here is that it is very desirable for the majority of buyers in that area. So you need to be in the right sort of price bracket where there's a lot of buyers. You need to have all the characteristics that a lot of those buyers 
will want and they will fight over. And we see it at the moment in the way that the market has slowed down in Sydney, for instance, some properties are competitive at auction and others don't get a bid. And what is the difference? The difference comes down to a number of factors, but one key factor is if it's an A-grade property. And whether it's A-grade property in one suburb, the characteristics that it has may be very, very different to the characteristics a property may have in a different suburb because what we're looking at are local owner-occupiers and what they want and what they're prepared to fight for in order to own. So they are the principles that underpin really a quality asset and it's an important process to go through before you buy. But certainly if you have a portfolio and you're wondering which one should I sell, then you need to go through that exercise so you don't sell the good ones. You actually sell the ones that are the underperformers. Please join us for our next episode when we interview Lorna Patton. Lorna Patton has a wealth of experience in psychology, philosophy, behavioural science, and we are going to have an interview all about wishful thinking. We've been mentioning this for a number of episodes. In fact, a lot of the property dumbos, we, we think... How has wishful thinking led people into the decisions that they've been making? So we talk about that. We get underneath it. What has been driving people to make often unconscious decisions around property? What the consequences of those are? And look, fundamentally, this is all about the elephant. We're talking about the subconscious mind, what drives so many of our decisions, and we're not aware of it. So we are understanding more of the elephant in the next episode and why doing a little bit of personal development is actually a good thing, can save you a hell of a lot of money and heartache over time. Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The Elephant in the Room property podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded by John Risk, editorial by Gordy Fletcher. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.